the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It is a delight to welcome back into the studios Dr. Zudi Jasser, past president, former president of the Arizona Medical Association and director of the Jasser Center for Comprehensive Care, jasserim.com. Also, if you uh, have read him uh, and know of him from his other work, he is the president and founder of the American American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Uh, Zudi, thank you for coming in. It's good to see you and good to have you. Thank you. It's always great to be here, Seth. Thank can you. you. Can you help straighten all of us out? You're a man of great clarity. I don't know where to begin. I'll just start this way. Um, two months ago, Joe Biden said, well, Bill, can you play him what? Can you play Dr. Jasser what Joe Biden said two months ago? The various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're OK. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. So he told us you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. And he also said that if you are vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. That was two months ago. Something changed. Something big changed or did it. What should we know? What should we think? Well, I think what hasn't changed is uh, the left's penchant and their muscle memory for trying to figure out how to continue to have government uh, tell us that we're doing the wrong thing and that government needs to tell us what the right thing to do is. So if the facts uh, change, that doesn't matter for them. Uh, The bottom line is is they're finding a reason to continue to push masks, to continue to say that uh, they need to be more coercive in vaccinations. He wants to now hand out cash, I guess, uh, forcing vaccinations. And uh, uh, we're also realizing something we did know, which was that that whole when we were pushing Fauci about what percentage is herd immunity and he dodged between 75 to 85 percent. Many of us were saying, "Okay, if you got to 60 percent, that's about 80, 90 percent effective. And nobody wanted to talk about that because that would then create more vaccine hesitancy. And that's sort of where we're at now is we're at a point where and we're forgetting the original premise when the pandemic started, you and I, and we were talking about surge uh, uh, prevention into hospitals and bed capacity issues, et cetera. Uh, We never I I don't remember ever having rational conversations about preventing the spread of virus as it would seasonally. Last summer in July and August, we were talking about the peaking uh, numbers and we were concerned about hospital capacities that were at 98, 99 percent and bed capacity was an issue. Now we're not even anywhere near that. So we're seeing a seasonal uptick. COVID seems to be a summer-type virus, and uh, that's pretty typical. We know that vaccines don't prevent uh, infections. It prevents overwhelming infections, and that's pretty much being seen. So why deceive? I mean, if anything, what's more clear now is that the American public was actually hoodwinked. 
that somehow we thought that vaccines would then get the government off our back so we could end the lockdowns and end the, uh, the police state mentality and get us all back to our normal activities and schools, et cetera. And, and now we're realizing that it was basically a dry run on how to continue to do this perennially into the next election season. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. It's an interesting dynamic you point out because um, if you look at a place like California, the cause for recalling the governor had to do with a lot of things, but nothing as important as his uh, overly uh, draconian uh, shutdown policies. Uh, Right about. Two months ago, it looked like he was going to survive a recall because things had kind of gotten back to normal and the American, much less the Californian memory, is short term. He can't be happy, I can't think politically, that all this is happening again and the shutdowns and the remaskings and perhaps delay, if not cancellation of of in-school learning again. It, it, that that will lead to his rec- his recall ultimately in in in, uh, in this year, because those numbers supporting his recall are now going up again. My point about this is the American people seem to have had quite enough of this. There's a lot of whiplash in this country from trying to follow what the government is telling us to do, but the American people now, by polling, are showing that while lockdowns last year may have had a decent motive, the majority of Americans say they were ineffective and they just don't want to go through ineffective inconvenience again. Yeah, and that's why you're not really hearing the the Democrats talk about lockdowns, but what they're talking about is masks on kids. And even the Surgeon General today uh, absurdly said on national, I think on MSNBC, he said that, Parents who are vaccinated should wear masks with their kids at home right. because, and even outside because of prevention of transmission so that they don't carry it into schools. I mean, that sort of tells you that, and this is probably more a political question for you, is, is are, are the are Democrats trying to, have they pulled it? And if, if COVID gets off the headlines, if economics and, and the economy and other things get on the headlines, are they then going to lose the election? So they're trying to find a way to keep this on the top of the, you know, on the top I'm glad of the you fold, it up if you will. I, I mean, I think it's almost a political thing because medically this makes no, it's insane. It's complete insanity. Well, I, I, you, I'm glad you raised it because there are two things I can't get out of my head. 
And one was the previous CDC director, Robert Redfield, I think. Was that his name? The previous CDC director last year testifying before Congress said before the vaccine was available, but while it was under warp speed was under under uh, underway, he said the mask could be more important than the vaccine. I'll never forget that. That was an odd statement then, but I'll never get it out of my head. And I wonder if there isn't something to that in the thinking at the CDC or at least in this administration, because with every indicator with every index in American public policy going south right now, rising crime, you know, rising homelessness, rising, my gosh, 93,000 overdose deaths, um, any number, rising inflation, rising gas price, you name it, rising immigration problems, illegal immigration problems. You haven't even started on foreign policy. And I haven't even gotten to your expert, your secondary (laughs) expertise, foreign policy, but exactly right. Uh, Zudi, I'm wondering if they need the distraction. And I think they keep realizing that sort of the nanny state's uh, uh, health, public health oversight process, uh, uh, legitimizing that up front creates a need for their type of government rather than uh, sort of the laissez-faire that is characterized as. And yet if you look at Florida, Arizona, states uh, with uh, uh, governors that have uh, uh, been more laissez-faire, the data is still better than it was for Michigan or California, right. which were the most uh, onerous uh, autocratic or responses. York. Or New York, exactly. Zudi, the Delta variant, we're being told that, and Rochelle Walensky said this, and others have said, they were caught unprepared or unawares that the Delta variant would be as um, as problematic as it is, as virulent as it is. Um, is that potentially possible? I, I remember people talking a year ago about how we would have variants of this thing. I, I just know I'm not crazy in thinking about those discussions were taking place. It's, and they credibly say this took them by surprise? No. And and if you look at coronaviruses or influenza, there are variants that come up every time a well, virus. We have a new flu vaccine yeah, every year. Exactly. It's it's a natural evolution of a virus. This is not a surprise. And the, the, the variants by definition, Seth, are always, I mean, I don't want to say always, but almost most, the vast majority of the times more virulent than the one before. Okay. But so they another cause, non-surprise. Yeah. They don't cause significant more hospitalizations because of vaccinations. Right. So your vaccine helps you with the variant 99.99%. The only reason India had the problem with the variant was their second spike that we had last summer, which was our second one, was very delayed for multiple reasons. And their vaccination rates, even though they were shipping vaccines around the world, um, when I filled in for you many months ago, I, I had Tariq Fatah on, who's an expert oh, in yeah. India, and he's based there. And we talked about the problem with the infrastructure inside India with their vaccinations. They were at 10, 15 percent barely. Mm-hmm. And that's why they were wide open to the big problems. It wasn't the Delta variant. It was simply their COVID second spike. This is uh, it's almost as if basic medical science of infectious diseases has been thrown out the window. And now we, we, we have this all or none uh, risk adverse, completely risk averse society where we forgot how it works. I mean, flu every year, flu vaccines. We've had sometimes the best year, even when we have great near herd immunity levels of people getting flu vaccines. Uh, they say, oh, it's a great year if it prevents 50 to 60 percent effectiveness. We've had flu seasons where the vaccine was literally 15 percent effective, which means that even if you're vaccinated, you're still probably going to get sick with the flu. So this vaccine has an effectiveness that's fantastic. 
So when you have a, a wonderfully, wonderfully effective vaccine that looks at the numbers at 98, 99 percent effectiveness, and sometimes people are still going to get sick, it's just a mild illness, which is just part of the process that you just didn't have enough proteins to, to counter it. But you're not going to end up in the hospital. You're not going to end up definitely on a ventilator and let alone talking about giving the vaccine to kids. I mean, I, I have had conversations with folks that are trying to convince me that it makes sense to vaccinate kids because so the teachers and, you know, grandparents don't get it. And I ask them a question as an ethicist. I say, okay, tell me when else I vaccinated a patient, not because that patient is not going to get sick, but because they could carry it to somebody else. And when, you, when have you children. ever done a procedure on someone to help someone exactly. else? Exactly. I, I, I can't remember, let alone in children who, who their parents are the ones consenting, not the child themselves. So, you know, I get it uh, why there's pressure to do that because they're in such close quarters. But, uh, you know, it, it's just a, it's a bit of a stretch. I'm really worried that this latest movement is going to be used as an excuse to close down the schools again. I mean, if you listen to the heads of the teachers unions, AFT and the NEA, it sounds very much like it. And I, 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 you know, when you have now mandated uh, or at least recommended strongly from the CDC and the president is aping that advice that children, even children who are vaccinated, uh, 12 and older, get the vaccine. I can see an awful lot of parents of 13 and 14 year olds saying maybe not so fast and then schools not opening. I really can see that. And, and how how and why 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 13 and not nine? And or Seth, 12? how criminal is that? Yeah. Because we were conjecturing about the fact of delayed treatment of other illnesses, about psychiatric issues, suicidality, drug use, all the things that were multiplied many times over. Now, a year later, we know the data showing that psychiatric admissions for kids are at the highest level. They're hospitals. They can't find beds for many of the suicidal kids in the teens that should be in school. And now with those numbers we're looking back and saying, well, even when teachers are vaccinated and have plexiglass between them and the yeah. kids, that's not good enough. We have to mask them right. or or not even bring them in. It's just it's criminal. And we have no major studies or any major evidence that kids are transmitting this disease upwards to the adults. We just don't have that. And yeah, exactly. And but you, you always will say if I'm wrong. So if I say something wrong, you correct me. But as far as I know, we have not seen that case study or gyms for that matter. I know. Gyms, which I also fear will be the next to close. It's and you know my position on that. I, I just uh, I was surprised that they were discriminated against as a business. Um, you know I sort of get maybe the bars and restaurants, but even with that, the the data is so so sparse out there. We haven't studied it. Then this is, what, this is a first pandemic that brought up many of these things in in quite a while. So uh, you know you do some things that are rational for a month or so, but to continue that month after month and just destroy these businesses and then say that well that's the right thing to do for public health, but we're just going to pay them out. Um, it had a ripple effect that we're now beginning to feel in the economy. And it may not have been. In fact, I happen to think it wasn't the right thing to do for public health. 93,000 drug abuse overdoses, substance abuse, drug overdoses. We've never seen a number like that. We were mm -hmm. celebrating it when we got two years ago down to 70,000, but we've never been in the Along 90s. Long delayed cancer treatments, yeah. delayed. Uh, I've seen, you know, talk to primary care docs that will tell you about bowel obstructions that patients had at home and didn't get treated. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, let alone the difficulties of telehealth. And, you know, telehealth has been a great uh, godsend in many ways, but it's also patients, you know, I myself realized, gosh, I saw you on camera a month ago, but it really looked different. I wish I had seen you earlier in my office. Also, by the way, as dramatic as that is, think about that distinction for 
five days a week in school learning versus out of school learning. That dramatic difference as well. The difference between, I mean, you notice it in seeing a patient online versus in person. How about a kid in a class versus? How many how many teachers pick up subtle signs of abuse? Of other things, oh, yes. from facial expressions. You, from, uh, I learned this. I didn't know this. I'm in the business as you are. We're on a board. Together. I didn't know this. But the number one reporting for child abuse, the number one institution of reportage for child abuse is, is the teacher. Absolutely. It just never dawned on me, but of Absolutely. course. It's an odd thing, isn't it, Zudi, when the president of the United States tells um, the American citizen that the patriotic thing to do is to get the vaccine and wear a mask – but he has nothing to say about the patriotic thing when it comes to following the law and protecting our borders, including in the middle of a health crisis. Yeah, it's amazing that the left seems to have some carve outs mm-hmm. for certain groups. And, you know, at the border, they, they sort of carve out, uh, uh, turn they turn their face when uh, you see the, the percentages coming, bringing in this variant. Uh, yet President Biden just yesterday, I think, is talking about mandating vaccinations for all federal employees, right, right. which is a huge step. I mean, we're talking four million people. I've talked to plus, active, right? I have as a naval. Yeah, I've talked to active duty folks that I've tried to convince. You know, I got my vaccine. I've tried to convince folks that tell them, you know, this is the benefits, et cetera, and they're, you know, on active duty and they don't want to get their vaccine. So I don't know what's going to happen to some of these folks. I mean, obviously there are hospitals and others that are mandating it. But when you have on the one hand a, a our commander in chief mandating it for our federal employees and military, and on the other hand, we sort of carve out for those coming in, uh, this is what the left does. We, we, we carve out our response to riots and things when it has to do with a certain movement or, or we carve out our hundreds of doctors, medical doctors signed a letter last summer saying racism is as is as problematic and as much as a public health crisis to our society as covid. And thus, these peaceful protests are, you know, as important as covid remediation. Hundreds of doctors signed this. I want to talk to you about the politicalization of medicine while we're at it. Yeah. It's a big issue. It's horrific. I mean, uh, Barry Weiss uh, had a uh, guest writer, uh, uh, Carrie Herzog, this week. She talked about a Zoom call she's had almost every other week, twice a month, with 12 docs from different parts of the country, prominent professors and others that have said that the cultural rot that's happening with uh, free speech, wokeism, uh, socialism and other things, Marxism is has not spared the House of Medicine and that the House of Medicine now there's a, a classic case with a Dr. Wang uh, out of uh, University of Pittsburgh who now is suing the University of Pittsburgh. He published a piece about how diversity programs and he said, listen, he's all for diversity and said this is not the yes, we need work. And he did admit that there are certain things that need work when it comes to uh, uh, aspects of prejudice and things like that. But he said the programs that are simply done for diversity uh, have not helped patients and they have not helped create better diversity in, in American medicine leadership. Nothing happened with this piece initially. Then four months later, a cardiologist out of Mayo Clinic and others started saying he needs to be stopped. That piece needs to be withdrawn, etc. And then you had this huge movement. He was then the piece was removed. Only one of two pieces from the Journal American Heart Association that was ever removed. There was no reason scientifically for its removal other than this social movement that uh, uh, created a, a need to suppress his free speech. And he's now been defamed. And it sort of shows you some of the climate of what's happening where uh, it is a, uh, you know, an, an 
a, a climate where you doctors can't think on their own. Doctors can't simply ask the tough questions. And American medicine suffering in ev- America suffering in every aspect of our learning environment. I want to talk about a little more about the politicalization of medicine and science with you. Doctor, I was shocked uh, to read the Barry Weiss uh, Substack piece you you had you had been tweeting about and talking about. She has a brand new one that just came up a couple of days ago. Med schools are now denying biological sex. One med school professor got in particular trouble with his students by using the highly offensive term "pregnant women." Pregnant women. The students uh, thought it was uh, sexist or somewhat bigoted to imply that only women can become pregnant, I suppose. Is this really what's happening in our medical is, – is, is what's being done to our medis- medical schools uh, uh, now, now happening as a result of what we've done with every other social discipline and intellectual discipline in America? Has the progressive mindset taken it over such as it's now on a recognizable – yeah, I mean, the, the cultural revolutions don't always have to be on the streets and don't always have to be openly obvious. They can be subtle. They can be insidious. And uh, when people think, well, it's just on Twitter, the deplatforming of people is uh, is not a big deal. It's not, you know, so what if you can't tweet? You can use other mechanisms. Uh, it's up to Twitter to do that. This is what's happening. The, the, the socialization, the culturalization of outrage mentality, which is, all of a sudden, and by the way, most of the people being uh, suppressed, being criticized for saying a female is pregnant or whatever it might be, are actually people that are usually on the same political spectrum as I've these other that. folks. Yep. They they are not going after conservatives. They are basically eating their own that are moderates. And it's the radicals that are doing this politics of outrage that are making the environment such that they control the agenda in the classroom where the loudest student, the one that seems the most uh, whiny, all of a sudden I've talked to attendings where they used to – I remember Morning Report when I was a medical resident, chief resident. People, uh, our, our residents used to come in. They never knew which case we were going to ask them about of the tw- 10 they admitted. If they showed up five minutes late, they would be – they would be uh, uh, you know – Put in warning and demerited, et cetera. And this was at Bethesda Naval Hospital. Nowadays, you talk to folks and students, yes, they got their hours limited. Uh, They can't be sort of uh, felt to feel, you know, made to feel uncomfortable. Uh, You know, sort of a new era of mild, you know, better. Fine, it's a better learning climate. I get that. That's good. But on the other hand, we're training the people that are going to have other lives in their hands. And, and they better be ready to do it. We used to say if you're on 36 and off 36, you missed half of the good cases. Uh, now it's like, oh, my gosh, if you don't get eight hours of sleep a night, you might make an error. And it's all about uh, uh, coddling future students rather than making them into tough, strong physicians that are going to be the leading doctors in the planet. So, yes, there's a happy medium in there. But the politics of outrage have made whether it's the editors of certain journals that get fired because of yep. things they say in podcasts or whatever it is, it's made an environment where we can no longer ask tough questions, where all of a sudden a study that says, you know, uh, uh, black babies are treated more poorly by white doctors, that study came out and was published on CNN, Fortune, and everywhere, and then was later retracted by the proceedings of the Academy of National Sci- of, of uh, Sciences as, as a faulty, poor study. And it's because the lens being used for that was saying, oh, we're all racist first, and then you ask questions after that. 
And that's not a way to, to run a, a medical school. Well, we know what's happened in the law. If you go back and, and watch movies about law school, like The Paper Chase and stuff like that, you know what a one-year law student goes through. It's, pro- it's not as hard as what a first-year medical student goes through. But all of that challenging and Socratic method and the use of hypotheticals, the yeah. use of hypotheticals are now all out all out the pedagogical window. You can't do any of this stuff anymore lest someone become offended. And I don't know if that creates necessarily a better learning environment or not. But I do know that we're going to have less good lawyers and doctors as a result. Remember when you and I wrote a piece, National Review, about what happened with the Fort Hood yeah. uh, Nidal Hassan. He was walking around Walter Reed Army Hospital with a card that said Soldier of Allah, giving grand rounds that were completely insane. And it turned out many of the folks felt that if they said anything, they were going to be called Islamophobes, et cetera. And nobody really at the time. And now I think it comes full circle yep. where we say, you know what? It wasn't just the political correctness about Muslims. It was actually insidious educational problems in the medical system mm-hmm. where there was a, a, a fear to speak up about something that really everybody in the room when the guy was talking said, what is, is, is he out of his mind? It doesn't make any sense. Zudi, that very situation covered a lot, and I remember that was a big issue after the fact. A lot of his fellow uh, uh, physicians and fellow staff were saying, yeah, well, you know, we, we noticed this and we noticed that and we didn't want to say anything. But after the fact, the day after on the Today Show, the chief of staff of the United States Army, General George Casey, said as horrific as that tragedy in Fort Hood was, if we lose diversity in the military, that would be worse. Worse than 12 lives? Worse than force protection? Losing diversity in the military? And now we see a military. You're, 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 a, you're a graduate of, of, of an academy here. And a, what, are you, what, are you, what are you, a commander in the Navy? Lieutenant commander. Lieutenant commander in the Navy. Zudi, we have seen this not just affect medicine. We've seen it affect the Pentagon and the military, which seems to care more about what Lenin says about Americans than what Americans say about Americans. And one of the doctors in that group yeah. just recently told Barry's, Barry Weiss's group, yeah. she, he, she said, this is like I'm back in the USSR. Yeah. And she said that the, the inability to openly talk about diversity and what our feelings are, et cetera, has created a monolithic mentality. So actually, the chief of staff of the Army, by saying that the most important thing is diversity and making people feel uncomfortable to really say what's on their mind when they talk about medical science and inquiry, et cetera, actually creates a monolith. Yeah. Diversity of ideology is the best form of diversity. And, and every day we're trying to tell people diversity is not about having somebody of every ethnicity in your classroom. It's actually about having somebody of every ideology. And many of the – you were talking about the definition of pregnant females, et cetera. Many of the transgender and the gay community and others are really offended yes. with, what, with how public this discussion has gotten because they're a very diverse community also about these issues. Absolutely. And Barry Weiss is on that case. Andrew Sullivan has certainly been on a, a part and parcel of it. Uh, but – Yes. So I, I don't know outside of talk radio, really, an institution that has been unaffected by what I call, I think, a much more toxic lab leak, which is the lab leak of critical race theory that came out of the ivory towers and spilled into the rest of the country, including the Pentagon. What ails you today, doctor? 
Uh, well, I have to tell you, you, know, you look at uh, kids applying to college, and uh, uh, one of the uh, folks applying to college uh, uh, in high school right now sent me a note of, from an application to major universities, Ivy League, that said, we want to state clearly in this application that applicants should not worry that participating in legal protests, even if they are arrested, as it will not be held against them. So imagine, <laughs> can you believe Wait. that they felt it necessary in the application to tell the student that if they were part of riots, if they were part, if they were arrested, it won't be held against them. So that tells you not only who's writing the, the manuals for these applications, but the type of students they're subliminally wanting exactly. to bring into the school, which are the ones that are really uh, uh, anti-American, uh, that uh, we recently saw polling that that was it the campus watch that went and interviewed kids that said that they don't want to root for America. They just want to root for individuals. This is the toxic waste that's happening to the minds of our kids that don't realize what America means, what freedom is, what intellectual questioning is. And, and this is all creating a rot inside our society that we need to address as a movement. I think children have been experimented with enough in this society. And whether we're talking about masking them or encouraging them to violence and hating this country, encouraging them to be racially conscious from, conscious from birth forward, um, I think we're upending a lot of things we used to know and a lot of things we've learned. And we're going back to some kind of Stone Age and zero as if we have accomplished nothing through the Enlightenment or through the decades and centuries of experience that um, humanity and rational thinking has provided for us. It's an odd thing to be given this gift to be born in 2020, to be alive in 2021, much less to be an American and to have to go through all these things as if 1776 never happened or for that matter, as if the year um, the year zero didn't happen because we're going back to zero. We're unlearning so much in this country and it's really sad and it's really even much more sad that we're doing it and inflicting it on our children. Um, used to be we judged societies by how well they treated their children. Uh, I don't want us to be judged right now. I think we'll be found quite wanting. On that high note, <laughs> I will leave you for the weekend. But the good news is you're not alone if you think the way we do. And I think there are more of us. We just have to show up a little bit better. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Every year from April to July, the publicly traded corporations hold their annual meetings. This year, my team and I made a point to attend as many as we could, challenging the pattern of corporations dabbling in divisive political causes which are well beyond management's responsibility. And we learned a lot. First, with very few exceptions, only the hard left has been showing up. Conservatives didn't show up and lose. We simply forfeited. Second, even one or two people can at least change the debate when it comes to gigantic multi-billion dollar companies. And last, many CEOs themselves are fed up with activists pushing them around and are only trying to protect themselves from reputational assaults. 
Conservatives need to get out of gripe mode and into engage mode. Plan to use the authority you have based on what is already in your 401k next time around. Because woke capitalism isn't going to fix itself. Investors hold the final authority, and it's time to use it. I'm Jerry Boyer. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.